Hi everyone, David Harris here with you for Criminal Injustice. One of the things that I get to do here in Pittsburgh, where the show is based, is besides serving as your host here on Criminal Injustice, I am the legal analyst for WESA-FM, that is our flagship NPR station. It's a great gig. I love doing it. And one of the things that I do most often for the station is appear as an analyst on their public affairs show called The Confluence. Uh, I've got a conversation here for you that I had on The Confluence on February 24th with Megan Harris. You may remember that name because she used to be one of our producers here for Criminal Injustice. Megan is now the producer and editor-in-chief of The Confluence for WESA. She was filling in for host Kevin Gavin, and we had a conversation about something that has happened here in Pittsburgh that I think will be of interest to you. On February 4th, um, the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette reported that a local common pleas judge, that's our regular trial court, named Mark Tranquilli, had been reported to the State Judicial Conduct Board by an attorney for making racially charged remarks in chambers. And the attorney was the attorney for a defendant in a drug trial, and he was joined in that complaint, as I understand it, by the prosecutor. What happened was this. Uh, uh, Mr. Tranquilli used to be with the DA's office. There was a drug case in front of Judge Tranquilli. A jury was chosen, and of course, both lawyers, the prosecutor and the, and the defense, uh, participate in jury selection. One of the jurors that was selected by the prosecutor in the case um, uh, was somebody who Judge Tranquilly fixated on. What happened was there was a not guilty verdict in this drug case. And after the verdict was read, uh, Judge Tranquilly was upset about it. Uh, He showed this in several different ways. And once he dismissed the jury, he called both lawyers back into his chambers. Now, remember, the case is over at this point, and therefore there is no court reporter with the two lawyers and the judge. If the case was still ongoing and they had matters to discuss outside the hearing of the jury, perhaps in chambers, perhaps at sidebar, there would be a court reporter uh, present, but because the case was over, no court reporter. And in that environment, post-case, no court reporter, the judge delivered of himself some incendiary remarks. He was particularly upset at the prosecutor in the case, because he believed that the prosecutor had made a mistake in selecting a particular juror. That would be juror number four in this trial. Um, Juror number four was a young black woman who wore a hair wrap throughout the trial. And Judge Tranquilly said to both of the lawyers, I knew this case was dead, uh, that you would never get a guilty verdict when you picked, and I'll quote here, and this is offensive, Aunt Jemima for the jury. Uh, As reported by the Post-Gazette, Judge Tranquilly is supposed to have said, and this was in the judicial complaint, uh, that uh, um, he knew that Aunt Jemima would never convict. Uh, She probably has a baby daddy that sells heroin uh, and will be very sympathetic to heroin dealers. 
This was uh, such a charged comment that the defense attorney, as I said, filed a complaint with the Judicial Conduct Board in which the prosecutor joined. Now, this is the background. Here is my conversation with Megan Harris about this case. She'll give you a little background, too, but then she asks me a number of very good questions about it. Here is our conversation from the confluence on February 24th. The NAACP is calling for the complete suspension of Allegheny County Common Pleas Judge Mark Tranquilli. He's accused of making racist remarks in his chambers. We're going to talk about the process for judicial discipline with University of Pittsburgh law professor and WESA legal analyst David Harris. David, welcome back. Good to be with you. So Judge Tranquilli was meeting with a prosecutor and a defense attorney in his chambers. According to those two attorneys behind closed doors, Tranquilli referred to an African-American juror as, quote, Aunt Jemima and said her, quote, baby daddy probably sold heroin. Judge Tranquilli has since been removed from hearing cases and is on administrative duty. But what do you think, David? Is that a fair punishment? Could things get worse for him? Oh, I think things could get worse for him. I think he'll be referred to the Judicial Discipline Authority in Pennsylvania. And I think that's the right thing. I think that we want a judge to behave in a way that gives credit to the process, that certainly doesn't undermine the fairness of the judiciary, and certainly somebody who expresses to others in the system uh, these kinds of attitudes. Uh, That has to be something that concerns everybody interested in a fair and just legal system. What is administrative duty anyway? Is that truly punitive? Well, they've simply removed him from hearing cases. And he'll have other duties that he can do, but he's going to be a very limited use as a judge. Putting aside your feelings about what he said, if he can't hear cases, why should he be there? There are other things he can do, but other people can do those jobs too. So Judge Tranquilli's alleged actions have already been referred to the State Judicial Conduct Board. It's a 12-member panel. What are the potential penalties? How does that work? Is it like a trial? It's not like a trial in the sense that a trial would be open and the public would have access to knowing exactly what went on. Um, but the this board would hear allegations against a judge referred to it, and they would look for proof of those allegations and a sense of the impact that those uh, allegations have had. Uh, In that sense, it does resemble a trial. But the openness and transparency, I think, is a key thing to understand because the public simply couldn't walk into that, wouldn't get a, a full report on it. And that makes it a lot less satisfactory if the real issue, the overarching issue, is how this impacts public confidence in the fairness of the judicial system. And those potential penalties? As far as potential penalties, uh, the body has the full spectrum available to it, everything from some kind of a reprimand to removal from the bench. So there's literally nothing they could not do. They can't prosecute him for a crime. This isn't a criminal matter, but anything within the bounds of lawyer or judge discipline is open to them. So legally, ethically, the attorneys who reported his comments in the first place, did they have any choice? Were they honor-bound to say something when they heard this? Perhaps honor-bound, but I'm not sure legally bound. Uh, That would take some study for me to know that. But as I understood it, the trial was over. 
And if the trial was still going on and the judge was communicating about the case, you'd have a court reporter and a clerk. And that would effectively create a record of exactly what happened. It's likely that the reason he felt free to express himself this way is because he knew there was no record and he was banking on the fact that the attorneys would not disclose it. This is a great risk for a lawyer to disclose. I mean, every judge is now going to know that these two lawyers uh, exposed this judge this way. And they, you know, they could have just uh, turned their backs, not said anything. Uh, it's a great professional risk for them to do this. And uh, my hat's off to them for doing it because, uh, I mean, I don't know Judge Tranquilly. I, you know, I have no, no dog in that fight as a, as a person about him, but we need lawyers to stand up and say, this isn't right. It's not proper. We have to report it. Are the attorney's comments enough? Will there be additional evidence, quote-unquote evidence? There could be. I mean, there's no reason the attorney's comments couldn't be enough. Um, But there may be additional evidence. We would just have to see. I mean, so often when we see allegations of this type, whether they are type of language used or a type of harassment or something like that, the first report of these is seldom the last. And as we said, the NAACP and clergy have actually weighed in on this. In conduct cases, especially at the state level, how important is public opinion in the ultimate result? Public opinion is vitally important. It's why we say that justice must not only be fair, it must have the appearance of being fair because people have to believe the system is fair and just in order for it to be legitimate. If you don't believe going into court that that it is fair, if you think that it is racially biased, um, it is going to affect the public's willingness to think of those institutions as legitimate. And that is key to the functioning of our government and our democratic institutions. And if Judge Tranquilly is removed permanently, if that's the decision, could defendants that he's previously jailed have their cases reviewed, sentences overturned in some way? It's possible. I wouldn't say it's likely. What's the, the opposite, though, I think, is really what we should pay attention to. If he is not removed and if he is still on the bench, um, every time a black defendant is in front of Judge Tranquilly, I'd expect the lawyers to ask for him to be recused. How could they not? Every time a potential black juror comes in the room where he's trying a case, how could they not react to him? So I see great problems ahead if he remains on the bench. David Harris is the host of the Criminal Injustice Podcast, a professor at the University of Pittsburgh and legal analyst for WESA. David, thanks as always. My pleasure. That's it. That was my conversation with Megan Harris of The Confluence on February 24th concerning the racially charged remarks of a local judge here in Pittsburgh and what might happen as a result. You can always get our take on the most important news in the criminal justice sphere by going to our website. That's criminalinjusticepodcast.com. That's where you'll find all of our news bonuses and all of our interviews that post every other week up with the most interesting people, commentators, writers, practitioners, and participants in the criminal justice system. Remember that we are a listener-supported operation now, and you can support us by going to patreon.com slash criminalinjustice. I'm David Harris, and I'll be back with you next time.
Criminal Injustice is written by David Harris and produced by Josh Rollerson. Find show notes and past episodes at criminalinjusticepodcast.com.